This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Here, as always, with Kara Sismati from the Canadian RV Council. We're super excited to have our RV industry show happening here again, fourth week of every single month. We are joined by regular guest Shane Devidish, obviously, from CRVA, CCRVC, and a bunch of other awesome things that he does. Eleanor Ham from RVDA of Canada. Phil has not been able to join us today from RVDA of the United States, but we're super excited to have him back next month. We don't have Kurt either from National Parks Traveler. I feel like he was on vacation and traveling around and he's working really hard on his new National Parks RV guide that I actually got a chance to do a sneak peek of that's really awesome and amazing. And hopefully we'll have him back next week as well. And then we have Bill and Lance from Cyberlander, who's this cool little camper thing that they're going to tell you about that I'm not doing justice at all for. But we're going to see pictures and we're going to look at videos and we're going to talk about those kinds of things. And hopefully the cyber truck will come out one day, guys, and we can go camping in this thing. But we're going to talk about some updates there, some of the innovations and things that they're doing. And so where do you want to start, Kara? Where do you want to start, Kara? I feel like I missed something. I feel like I missed something. I'm getting an echo here. I'm getting an echo. Is that better? That is good. That's okay. I, Lance, Lance, I muted you. I'm so sorry. Did the intro not come through at all for you guys, or no? It did. We lost yeah, okay. the Okay, I couldn't. I didn't know if the audio came through anyway. So another technical difficulty. We all have these every single week. It's amazing. It adds some spice to the show. We actually do it on purpose. We, that's why we get here and we gather 15 minutes early so we can think of what technical difficulty we're going to have to entertain all of you. Yeah, you're leading into it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Hopefully, Lance, you can fix your audio. I think it's really just a headset kind of echo thing. So Bill is here from Cyberlander. We're super excited to have you. Before I get into the Cyberlander and the Cybertruck and all those kinds of cool things, guys from the RV industry, our regular guests, has anything come across your desk in the last month or so that you feel is super important that we need to get out there in front of our audience? Eleanor, Shane, anyone? I've just actually just did a couple interviews this morning on uh, we're getting a lot of questions about the price of gas and how that's affecting the industry and happy to look at some of our retail stats or retail stats that were down a little bit over last when we compare stats over the last eight years second strongest year in terms of RV sales. Don't be discouraged if you think people aren't going to go in because they're concerned about the price of gas. What we're seeing also is campgrounds are very full and ultimately I think more of they just may adapt how they they go RVing a little bit in terms of shorter trips, be a little bit closer to home. But the nice thing is that it does always give the opportunity, uh, RVing gives the opportunity for people to control their costs in other manners, such as having their own groceries. So while some people have been asking a lot about these questions, I think it's still going to be a fabulous year in the industry. 
Yeah, I think that's a recurring thing that we're hearing, Eleanor. Somehow on the show, we always manage to start it off with inflation the last couple of weeks, which is obviously it's an important critical topic to both of our countries, Canada and the United States, that, we're, that we regularly focus on here. And I think I was having an interesting conversation with someone this morning, too. We were attending the American Glamping Association's call, and they were talking about finances and the resiliency of the industry and how new investment is coming dollars. And so they're naturally touching on all those things. And I think that one of the things that interests me is I don't think that, and I'm not an economist to be clear, but I don't think 2008 had the double whammy of the recession of this inflation. And so I think you're right. People are definitely going to still go camping. But my question is, is are costs going to increase so much on park owners that the public needs lower rates in order to continue camping at the volume they do? And how does that impact the financial performance of the camping? Interesting. I don't think it's going to be that. It just interests me. I don't think we've ever seen it in recent history, at least. Yeah, I think it's really important to know. I think people are realizing that it's not only camping, but it's every vacation opportunity out there that has gone up in price. Or more importantly, the inconvenience of it. Camping is still very affordable. Yeah. When you look at airport, the bad press that we're getting in both of our countries, and the cost of flight, the cost of hotel. Was, was talking about lack of rental cars available. It's certainly contributing to the popularity of camping still, despite the uh, the higher gas prices. Yeah, I agree. I think my, and Lance, maybe we're echoing again, but welcome back. I think I agree. I think my overall point is that because our rates are lower than hotels, yes, more people are going camping, but does that hurt the margins of the park owners? I don't know yet because their costs go up for all the building and the maintenance and all the things with inflation, right? So it's an interesting, maybe KOA can do some studies on that or something, or maybe they haven't, I just haven't seen them. Yeah, I'll bet you most campgrounds are saving on their employee staff expenses. they can't hire? Because <laughs> they can't find anybody. <clears throat> yeah, not the desired way to cut your expenses, but it's probably happening out there. What else we got? Anybody else have anything else on their desk here? I'm gonna take off this little logo here on top of me. Any other questions? Anything come across your desk that's important besides inflation? You know what? I'm going to share something that the RV Women's Alliance is doing right now that I think would be a really great opportunity for campground owners as we expand on the program. But we are in the process of the pilot program for in conjunction with the RV Technical Institute outside of Indiana, where we're offering sponsorships for women to come in and take their technical We've got 24 women selected right now just for the pilot program, and we have, out of them, there's three campgrounds. And the interesting thing from the campground side of things, we haven't done the class yet, so we're really excited to see on the other side how they felt with it worth it to them. But they said just to help, we have a lot of new people camping, right? A lot of issues with the They go through the spectrum of the they drive it off the lot by time. These came from the worst their time to so training. So therefore they can help the gas stop that more. So we find that's gonna be really exciting. Once we come to the pilot program, we're gonna actually offer it fully and we'd love to have one as well. Hopes where we can offer campground owners to come in and, and do this training. And RVTI right now is offering the training for free. Awesome. Yeah. That's great news. 
All right. Without further ado, then, I'm sure you guys will think of other things for us to talk about later in the show, but I want to get to Bill and Lance, who are our special guests for the show. We've been hearing for, you guys tell us, introduce yourselves, your titles, because I feel like I've been hearing about Cyberlander for a while, maybe even a year or two back, and I want to learn more about it, obviously, and then some of the updated timetables, how you came up with it, and all kinds of cool things that we're going to talk about. So whichever one of you gentlemen would like to start. Take it away, Lance. Your audio is off. I don't hear audio, though. Oh, hold on. I had him muted for a second just because of the echo, so that might be my fault. So there, try that, Lance. Can you hear me now? Yep, yes. we're good. Okay, good. It's not on my end. Yeah, it's been just over a year. We launched on April 6th of last year, and it took off like wildfire. Our original goal was to hopefully get one or 200 that were interested in Cyberlander, and in five weeks, we were at about 1,000. And so it, it took off like crazy. And we found that we've really hit a nerve that a lot of people really wanted an RV that would fit in a single parking space and that they could park in their garage and that would fit into a mall parking garage or go through the Starbucks or McDonald's drive through And really an RV they could take with them everywhere. And a few years back, there was a big debate online about which is the best camera. And of course, everybody had their opinions about which ones. And the debate was largely ended when a famous photographer said, the best camera is the one you have with you. And we feel the same way about the RV. The best RV is the one you have with you. And Cyberlander is the one that's just sitting in the back out of the way. It's always ready. It goes with you everywhere you go. So apparently there were a lot of people who really liked that, but it's taken off like crazy. But we really stopped trying to sell and market it after just a few months. And the sales have continued to climb. They kept in every day. And we put out a press release every month and a half or so to update people on our progress. And that just keeps it rolling along. Uh, so uh, we're excited to see that, that people are interested in uh, EV RVs, something that can give them the range, they can get out to nature without the, the big drawbacks of high price of gasoline, diesel smell, see nature while treading more lightly upon her. So you see our website there. If you click on that, it'll keep running around and show you more features. And so that's an upgraded website from the one we first launched with, and it's going to be improved again here in a little bit, but basically it allows you to put it for those of you who are not familiar with Cyberlander, it's the disappearing camper for Tesla Cybertruck. It fits under the fallout, which is what Tesla calls the bed when it's covered by the tonneau cover. So it, it fits within the vault and it expands up and gives you a living room, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, and office in that small space through some clever design. We've removed the fixed dinette set and the fixed bedroom and made it so the chairs could convert into a bed. And those chairs are freestanding, so you can take them outside by the fire, around inside to, to watch a movie or whatnot. And so... Uh, couple of clever advances made it so we could fit a surprisingly roomy camper in the bed of the truck. And that's really been the gratifying thing to us. And so far, everybody who's been in the prototype has said, wow, it's larger than I imagined. And that's what I like to hear, that it's like the tent on Harry Potter, where it looks like it's a little tent and then you go inside and it's much bigger. And so we recently unveiled our kitchen. I don't know if you saw that, our prototype kitchen with some people on social media called our impossible induction cooktop. So you don't see an induction cooktop there, but it's there. 
It's actually underneath the porcelain countertop and cooks through it without heating the counter up very much. So you can still, it's still cool enough to touch even after you've boiled water. There's some nice innovations there uh, that people seem to really like. And we're trying to use more durable materials that if you wanted to live in it all the time or just use it a lot, it's going to hold up. We're not using wood that will rot, corrode, delaminate, or anything like that. We're using advanced composites, porcelain, and other very durable materials. You have this one prototype produced so far or multiple? So we produced four prototypes so far, and there will be at least probably 10 more before we get to production. And none of them is complete in and of itself. Each one is designed to test something, right? And so we've got a series of them that we're going through and each one becomes more complete and more refined, which of course is the product development process. What does the overall timeline look like? If I place an order today, how long am I looking at? Our goal from the very beginning has been to ship your cyber ladder when your cyber truck is ready. So if you ordered a cyber truck on day one, when it was announced back in 2019, Elon says they'll start shipping in 2023. So sometime next year, you would get yours and we're going to try and have each person's Cyberlander ready when their Cybertruck is ready. So if you're just placing an order for a Cybertruck today, you may be a couple of years out before you get your Cybertruck. And still, our goal is the same, have your Cyberlander ready by then. Is it more of a, um, it's not a tent, but is it more of a tent or an addition than an RV? What are, yeah, what are the sides that it's So th this... Great question. The sides are made of an advanced composite material. And people ask us, what is that made of? And so we're not telling you yet. We're keeping the secret sauce secret for a while longer. But Dr. Know-it-all, one of the YouTubers, great guy, John, came out and we gave him a tour of the prototype and let him take a sledgehammer to the sides and beat the material. And it's very strong. It's a good insulator and there's no thermal bridging from the outside to the inside. And to make something this compact, we needed something that was structural. So the panels themselves are structural and they're strong. They've been proven for many years in other industries outside in the weather. They should hold up very well. So I guess that's maybe a bigger concern for those of us up in the north end of the continent, but how you mentioned spending full time in a unit like this, they're stability for some pretty extreme winter <laughs> winter exposure so it depends how you define comfortable not hypothermia <laughs> yeah. so, so i'm amazed because i'll watch youtube and people say yeah we took our camper out and camped in the winter and they got a foot of snow overnight and they said we were comfortable inside they went through two tanks of propane that night and never got the temperature above 47 degrees they had a sleeping bag and three blankets on top of them. And they said, yeah, it was great. So if that's your standard of great, yeah, you'll be fine. But if you want it like your home, you set the thermostat to 73 degrees and it stays there in very extreme weather, that would be more difficult. But I think you'd be surprised just how comfortable it is. We're actually using a radiant floor heating and that's a porcelain floor. So you've got that or you can go barefoot and just let it warm up your toes while you're walking around while it's cold outside. And we do have some supplemental air heating because radiant heating is great for heating people and objects in a large space. 
especially if people are going in and out all the time, but it doesn't heat up the air. So you could be perfectly warm and still see your breath if you use nothing but radiant floor heat. So we supplement with that to heat the air up because it's still nice to have warmer air. Lance, I don't want to take away any of your thunder, but introduce us to this beautiful genius Bill here, who I feel like plays a large role in your company. <laughs> he does. And he sits silently in the background working like a mad most of the time. So go ahead, Bill. Yeah, it's great to be part of the Cyberlander team. I don't view myself as the genius necessarily. My goal on the team is to think about energy, which we just touched on there, as well as energy management, modeling applications and software so that it performs well. A lot of people think about RVing as this thing. It's all about the outdoors, it's all about getting away. And at the end of the day, they're always carting energy with them, whether it's batteries for devices or solar panels to charge devices or propane or other types of fuels. And so in, in an electrified RV world, everything pretty much changes. We have to think about the model that gets us through our mission. I call them missions because the goal is to leave and then come back. And if you don't come back, then your mission was a failure. So at the end of the day, RVing is all about moving in some capacity and electrification and the Cybertruck and all of its batteries and its capabilities all factor into that mix. And then you have this other thing that's sitting in the back that is dependent upon that battery. The Cyberlender has no battery. So much of the work that I do at Cyberlender is thinking more about what does it mean to have a software defined RV? What does it mean to have a software defined experience with RVE. And I don't think a lot of companies have really thought of it that way, much the same way that nobody in the automobile industry thought of a software defined automotive experience. Tesla did that. Elon was instrumental in saying, look, if we're going to move to electrification, we have to think differently. And Cyberlander is patterned in much the same way. And that's really where I get involved. I'm thinking about analytics. I'm thinking if you're in a slot canyon in Utah and you don't have any connectivity, how is Cyberlander going to know that you want to tell it to give me two quarts of hot water? And that's entirely possible in Cyberlander. Cyberlander has a kitchen sink that will respond to voice activated controls. And the ability to do that in a basically air gapped, right? It's a device, there's a computer in Cyberlander, but that computer can't think about anything else yeah. on the interwebs. So it, it is a very complex set of problems that we have to think about. And it, it covers everything from, well, yeah, well, let's qualify that bill. So yeah. uh, we don't require an internet connection for the home automation and the voice response and that type of thing, because we want Cyberliner to sit independently. However, it does come with Starlink which gives you an internet connection as long as you're not in one of the poles, right? Anywhere else in the world, you've got Starlink or a nice, fast, low latency internet connection. So if you want to stream a 4K movie to the integrated 32-inch smart TV for your Amazon Prime account in the middle of the desert, go right ahead. And you're not going to be sharing LTE with anyone. You're not going to be fighting for Wi-Fi. But in a slot canyon, you're still going to want some hot water. And those are different areas that you have to think about with the Starlink. Connection is just phenomenal. And in fact, when we announced our product more than a year ago, we announced it with Starlink and Tesla hadn't even really announced that Starlink would work in an RV environment. And I think many of you probably saw a few months ago, 
than it is now released for people that use RVs. So you could have pretty much satellite internet everywhere you go. It's a little pricey, obviously, but that price will come down. And it's proven, it's been proven in a battlefield in Ukraine. I'm pretty sure that most RV parks are not like Ukrainian battlefields, but <laughs> uh, not. I, I, yeah, I hope not. I suppose there's probably some exceptions, but we won't go there today. But certainly having Starlink and having broadband, a very high speed internet connectivity brings a whole bunch of new advantages. Everything from my Cyberlander telling other people exactly the route that I took to get to where I am, everything, including the speed, the amount of energy used, things like that. It's a very powerful model, especially when you have this satellite. So Bill, I'm curious, how do you, and please Eleanor and Shane and anybody else jump in whatever you want, if you have some questions here, because obviously you guys know the dealers and the manufacturers and the industry and all those kinds of things. And Bill's kind of pioneering some of that space, right? Obviously not competing with the class days or anything like that, but Bill, how do you how do you inform your decision-making when it comes to this software experience? How do you talk to consumers? Do you talk to manufacturers? Do you talk to people who go camping regularly? How do you arrive at, this is what this needs to do to make it work the way it's expected? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's really two dimensions to that. One dimension is how do you actually utilize technologies that are broadly used in other sciences, such as video analytics. We do a lot of video analytics at StreamIt. And I'll defer to Lance to tell the story about how I got involved, how Lance even came up with the idea to do this in the first place. But at StreamIt, we do a lot of things with artificial intelligence. We do a lot with data. We do a lot with creating experiences that are designed to help people achieve things, everything from transit to transportation. And so we're peripherally in that industry to begin with doing lots of things with information. We'll leave it at that. It gets very boring after that. But when it comes to customers that we regularly survey our customers and we have just a ton of data and them explaining to us, why are you so interested in Cyberlander? Why is it that you will use, buy an RV and pay for it? And it might be $75,000 and you'll use it about 23 days a year. And now that when you looked at Cyberlander, you anticipate using it 150 days a year. What is the difference? What are the motivating factors that cause consumers to behave differently in that way? And by having those conversations, we arrive at the understanding of why should our product behave a certain way? Why should the tinted windows or the electrochromatic windows know and be intelligent enough to shade? when there's direct sunlight causing a heating event going on inside of our product. Those are all things that fundamentally are driven by our customers. Shane and Kara, I'm super interested just to put you on the spot here and ask you a question because it just came to my head while Bill was talking about that. If you do have, we will have like a Cyberlander attached to a cyber truck and you're driving your truck and the camper is always there. That naturally, as Bill was saying, I think I agree with, would encourage and entice people to camp four nights a year or utilize that space at least more nights a year. So does that adoption, obviously there's a limited number of cyber trucks and they roll out slowly, but if more people adopt this model, do you feel like that helps private campgrounds or campgrounds in general? Because more consumers need more sites, more nights of the year? I have an answer to that. If those yeah. guys are just, yeah, yeah, go Bill. <laughs> yeah. So we talk about this a lot at Cyberlander and our stream of team. We're constantly thinking about how do the economics of electrification and a model where accommodations are always with you. 
By the way, I like to call it accommodations because many of our customers do not buy this or see this as a camper. They see this sure. as okay. an accommodating facility to do whatever. It might be taking the kids on a long weekend for soccer tournaments. And if you've had kids and you've had soccer tournaments, you know that there are some very boring times when mom or dad could actually get some work done or they can prepare a nice, healthy meal for their kids or even hose them off easily with our recirculating water system. So those kinds of use cases start to tell us that the world is probably going to change and campgrounds are probably going to feel the impact of that. And I think the impact will be positive because what's the one thing that campgrounds mm -hmm. have that electrified vehicles need? Power. We about it. Yeah. Like power. So yeah. if you're on a long journey and you do have the capacity to stay anywhere, given this particular footprint of this product, isn't it likely that you're going to seek out electricity? You're going to seek out additional water from time to time, and you're going to seek out friends and family and acquaintances and other people that are involved in the same things that you love and enjoy about travel. So I, I think you'll see a, a faster work. There'll be a lot of cyber trucks and cyberlanders coming into these parks for short periods of time, as opposed to long periods of time. But otherwise, I think it'll yeah. be. Does it sleep? How comfortable do you want to be? <laughs> I know. Like we say he always has a question with whatever you ask him. Do you know that? Slightly less in hypothermia. More <laughs> hypothermia. Uh, right. Uh, no. Two, two adults and two children. For children, we're saying under about four or five feet tall. And they say, where do you put the children? The bed is actually at the countertop height. And so there's room underneath for two children to sleep. And it's bunk bed style, basically, right? Now, one of the nice things about Cyberlander is that unlike most pickup campers, you can't really sit up in bed in most of them. But in Cyberlander, you can. There's still plenty of room overhead if you're sitting up in bed. I think people are going to be surprised just how roomy the littlest camper is, but we'll let you judge that for yourself once you get a chance to be in it. But I want to address just a little bit about how camping or RVing changes. Brian had talked about they might spend more nights in it. We have customers who have told us, I'm never going to spend a night in it. That's not what it's for. It's for when I take my kids to the park, we've got a bathroom that's clean that we know functions. And so that when we go out to eat and we, you can't get into the restaurant restaurant because they're crowded or they're shut down for COVID, we get our takeout and eat it right there before it gets cold inside our Cyberlander. So it's been really fascinating to see how people plan to use it. They're going to use it a whole lot more. They may not do any more overnight camping or only a little bit more than they would have done otherwise, but they're going to use it for a whole lot of other things. We like to call them urban adventures, not just wilderness adventures. And so what we think you'll see in the campground market is your electrified RVs are not going to stay as long. We're seeing a shift from recreating, just going to a spot and sitting there for a few days to more of an adventure style where they're at a new spot every day or two. And so the journey is going to be much longer. Instead of going 150, 200 miles to a campground and staying there, they're going to be hitting a new one all the time because it's so much less expensive to travel. And they don't have to worry about adding pollution or anything. They just have to charge. And so they can drive, stop at a campground and charge up and enjoy it for a day or two and then move on. So expect them to be much more nomadic than they have been in the past. And if you want to cater the 
to this market as it develops. You've, you've talked about power. You will need power and you've already got power, which is great. I think you've got 30 amps at, at most campground stalls, but keep in mind that those people are going to be actually using the full 30 amps for hours at a time to recharge, not just a fraction of that for a little while. So you will probably need more power coming in, but you'll see that ramp up over a period of a few years, not just overnight. Uh, yeah, but then be later. Go ahead. No, sorry. I was just going to say that's a discussion we've had before about power pedestals and the need for that. And when you're camping, you're also charging your electric vehicle. And so the industry, I think, is very aware that we need to do some upgrades in certain areas and in certain places. But just to, before you dive into another topic, I want to just wrap up the thought. I think, yes, many people are going to use it for much more things than just besides camping. But I think it encourages people to go camping locally around their house more than they otherwise would because it's attached. You don't have to hook everything up and wire all the harnesses and level everything out and do all that kind of thing. And maybe even there's a model for some campgrounds to do half day rates so they can come work at a beautiful scenic place with trees and rivers and whatever, and they could sit there and do their work like a co-working spot. Right. It's fundamentally a definition of the word capping is going to morph dramatically, I think, because of history. So I have a question in terms of the servicing. Now I'm using my RV and I go and I have trained RV service technicians that, that, that service this. Obviously the servicing model is going to be quite different, going to look, going to look different. So where do I go now? If I have issues, do you go back to a dealer or the manufacturer here? Is there going to be training available for these techs or how is that side of the business going to work? Great questions. And we are not to the point yet where we can announce anything, so I can't really answer it, but Rest assured that that's something that has occupied a lot of our time. We're working on partnerships so that you'll be able to get service nationwide. And we're, we're hoping that we have vastly less service requirements. One of our goals from the very beginning was to dramatically reduce the quality control issues and the maintenance issues that people are having, because those are two of the biggest frustrations that anybody has with RVs right now from what we've seen. Wouldn't be. We kind of follow Tesla's model on that. Elon is quite vocal about saying one of the best ways to make your product better is to stop the madness of uh, maintenance. And so our, our goal is to try to build a product that needs less of it. If you can eliminate the vast majority of that, then I think the experience just, it just grows exponentially. So when we are, oh, sorry, Kerr, go. Uh, you go, you go, go ahead. Oh, go, getting back to the campgrounds, I think you mentioned that they have a washroom. Is it like a porta potty? I can't see them having holding tanks. So you are correct. There is no holding tank. We didn't want anybody to ever have to clean out a blind tank anyway, because it's the least fun part of having an RV. So it actually uses a dry flush toilet, which you can think of as a really long garbage liner seals airtight and smell tight, which is the most important part. And we've been testing this for more than a year with stuff in it. Let's just say it has stuff in it. Some of it's been there for six to nine months and yeah. still no odors. And when it fills all the way up, then, you know, the, it runs out of bag. It sits inside a larger garbage liner. And so you lift up the toilet seat, close off that larger bag that's hidden inside there when the the lid is down, tie it up and then toss it in the trash, just like you would a baby's dirty diaper. So 
we, we would ask that people make sure they put it where the raccoons won't get to it. But that removes the complications and the yuck factor of a black water tank, and it conserves water. So you're correct. No, no holding tank for black water. Does that model work? Go ahead, Kara. Sorry. Oh, please. I think we're going to. I was just going to say, does that model? I don't know enough about RVs, Eleanor Saint Garrett, having never owned one, camped in one lots, but never owned one. So does that? seem feasible to you guys? I can see it being used more similar to a tent than it's a campground in that, you know, other than the electrical, yeah, I got, I'm just, I guess, envisioning this so without seeing it, I can't see a needing freshwater hose attached all the time. It's just the, the charging station and not, not, you don't need the septic system from a campground. But it does have you a fresh water and a great water. It you does. Right. So it has fresh water tank and to maximize the fresh water tank and how long it lasts, we've largely eliminated the gray water tank by recirculating the water. So we run the water through a four stage filter with UV, UV sterilization and you can use it again and again. So that, go ahead, take a 10 minute long shower every day, not run out of water, even though you're not packing a ton of water. It's much less space flight. And when we first designed this, I actually thought we would have a lot of pushback on the water recirculation. And we haven't had because most everybody understands now that all water is recycled. It's either recycled by nature or by your municipality. And we would argue we can do a better job than a lot of municipalities do at recycling that water. So do you have any demographics as you talk about this? Really what the younger generations are really looking for is sustainability and not wasting horses and all that kind of stuff. I just don't, I'm just curious on all your market research. Is there a demographic that you think is going to be more in line to buy this than another? I think minimal is another word that comes into play, but go ahead, Lance. We like to say we're the maximum minimalist, right? So it's the nicest you can get of something small. And so it's not minimalist in a way, and it's maximalist in a way as well. But we track our customer base very closely because Bill is so good with analytics. And it's been really interesting to see the spread for our customers. We really do skew a little younger than your traditional RVs. Our largest group is, I think, 18 to 35, as I recall, and I don't have that handy. Maybe Bill has that handy, but at any rate, a very nice belt curve that starts pretty young, but continues all the way. We've got a lot of customers that are in their seventies as well. And it's really surprised at how broadly this has appealed to people and the comments we've got, we had. One couple tell us, thanks, you ruined our retirement. We were just going to go buy a condo and <laughs> stay there until we die. And now you force us to go out and live life and see the world. It's gratifying to see comments like that. And I think they punctuated that with, please just take my money. This is a sentiment that you can see on YouTube. You can see it on our Twitter account and things. People look at this and they realize I wanted less and you gave me less but you gave me more because now I have the agility to take my vehicle and go to a very, one couple described going to a really remote astro astronomy experience. And it's so far out in the remote areas to, for low light, but there's no hotel rooms nearby and it's a national park or there's state parks nearby. 
But the problem is very few places to, to take an RV there as well. And they see Cyberlander is that one thing that would allow them to actually look through a telescope at one in the morning and 15 minutes later be in their Cyberlander snuggled up, ready to go to sleep. That is a really difficult thing to solve. And I think having accommodations with you right. everywhere and everywhere you happen to be fundamentally changes this to more of a lifestyle utility vehicle or some around the team here, we call it a love. And I think it has a lot to do with utility. I mean, utility yeah. is generational uh, or uh, it's cross-generational. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or if you're 78. You want utility. You want that utility value in a product. And so I think that explains why we see elderly people just loving this as well as millennials and all the way down to Gen Xers and Gen Zers. Doesn't matter. And oddly enough, the most frequent comment we get from people is shut up and take my money. And to this day, it still makes me laugh every time I see somebody type that in. Yeah, we need a t-shirt. Well, since you mentioned that, what's your starting point in the cost? During our launch, we had a $5,000 discount. So they were uh, $45,000. And then depending on how much deposit they put down, they could get up to an additional $5,000 discount. So early on, you could have gotten one for as little as $40,000. The price is currently $50,000. And I'll share a little secret with you right now. The price is going to go up. Like everything and, is because. Yeah. yeah. Is that just your part? That's not the truck. That's just our part, not the truck. The truck could be another forty to seventy or eighty thousand, depending on how you equip it. Yeah, and it's been interesting to us. People who know nothing about campers say, "Wow, that's a lot of money for a camper." But people who have been out shopping campers go, "How are you putting so much in there at that price?" And it's exactly, <laughs> we're not immune to inflation either. We've had some of our vendors raise prices as much as thirty percent. Luckily, most of them haven't been that large. So. Our price would be going up to 55,000, yeah, but still there have been a couple of others who have launched Cybertruck specific campers since us. Both are quite a bit more money and don't lack a lot of the features we have. So I think we're still in a very good competitive position. Which asking about if it needs 30 or 50 amp plug-in and then how many miles on a charge. So I suppose that's a Cybertruck question specifically. It is, but we can probably answer it for you. So we wanted to make it as simple as possible. We couldn't make any sense of putting inferior quality batteries and adding additional weight, taking up precious space by adding batteries to Cyberlander. When Cybertruck already comes with the world's most efficient, largest, least expensive batteries for an EV, right? So we use the Cybertruck's battery. And so any power you use for Cyberlander is reducing the range. But most people would be surprised how much energy a vehicle uses compared to a home. Now you can operate your home on a lot less electricity than it takes to get your per day than it takes to get your car to go 100 miles, right? If you've got an EV. And so you can last a long time in temperate conditions. The solar panels on the roof of Cyberlander will probably meet your needs. But as you get into more extreme conditions where it gets really hot or cold, you need to heat or air condition. And then you're going to start to draw down the Tesla battery. But again, most people aren't going to spend their entire day sitting in Cyberlander. Most people are going to be out doing things, biking, hiking, exploring something. And so that minimizes the amount of time you need to spend heating and cooling. But the uh, amp is fine. With, sorry, with a 30 amp, you can charge 
completely overnight and have a topped off Cybertruck in the morning. And the top of the line Cybertruck is said to have a 500 mile range, which will be the longest of any electric vehicle so far. And at a 500 mile range, there's only about a 5% reduction when you've got Cyberlander installed. Uh, it's like adding a few passengers because we have no aerodynamic drag that we add. And so the only reduction is due to the weight we add. So you still have about close to 95% of your original range when Cyberlander is installed. And, and there's a good chance that this will be the first RV that when you close up and go fishing or hiking for a whole day, you'll come back and you'll have seven more miles of range in your cyber truck. Your range could actually go up from day to day, depending on your energy consumption. And it won't go up a lot, but the other side of it is Cyberlander probably won't cause it to go down much either. So if you're prudent and you use the energy models that we're building for, you'll have just a wonderful experience in electrification. And I think campgrounds everywhere are going to support your interest in saying to it that climate-friendly move is underway. So I guess that's a good segue for me because my biggest kind of feedback I get is a concern that the fundamental like charging infrastructure and all of those things specific and specific to campground is not ready <laughs> yet for this. So if we're talking about these vehicles being on the road in the next year, are those concerns echoed on your side or do you have confidence that charging infrastructure and all of that is in place and, and we are good to launch? <laughs> oh, we're good to launch. And the reason for that is it will take a while to grow. It's not like overnight, all RVs will be EVs. That transition is going to take a decade or more. And so that gives everybody a chance to see the trend and prepare for it. But I think you'll see the beginnings of that pretty quickly. By 2024, I'd be surprised if most of your campgrounds aren't seeing EVRVs come through on a regular basis. And I think they'll probably find their stay for shorter periods of time but they're getting lots more of them. And there's also a likelihood that within a few miles of that campground or resort, there's probably going to be a Tesla supercharger and people will divert their routes or leave the wilderness to top off, so to speak. I mean, it's not an, unlike uh, doing other things that you do with RVs today. So I have a two-part question. First to Eleanor and Shane, have you seen any, or do you know of any, and I've seen some concept vehicles, but is there a big push in the industry to adapt other RVs to be electric? Yeah, there's, there, there are definitely some concept vehicles. And it's, this is very interesting to me because I've been talking about how the majority of the industry is our, our total percent or 85% are total toolables and it's a small segment on the motorized side but now with this it's actually the truck camper part that ties into so it's a whole area that I hadn't really given much thought to because like I'm thinking the towable will still just be a towable and maybe have some components that that are electrical but it, I don't know it's definitely opened up a whole new thought position for me because I I hadn't really envisioned the industry moving in this direction but we haven't seen much in canada and sort of of anything other than just concept vehicles for the manufacturers yeah airstream has come up with a prototype and some other ones are quickly working on them but yeah this is this is stuff that i wasn't thinking of before an hour ago and it's neat to hear and i think as we move forward there's going to be more 
Oh, did we lose Shane? Oh, Shane. Shane. oh. oh sorry yeah. about that. There we, uh, there we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, brand new initiatives that we see. And it's exciting. It's going to be an exciting time for the future, for the industry, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think innovation like this is going to push the, the market to develop more products to compete. There's a comment on LinkedIn that the Airstream prototype looks awesome. Clearly, consumers are excited about these products and are paying to take their money. I think there's room for other manufacturers to, to get moving on this quicker, but I think we'll definitely see that happen in the next, well, shortly. Yeah, I think that's a good way for the I was going to say, it's a wave of the future, and I think it's what next generation, the youngest generation coming into the industry is going to be looking for. So I think this is fantastic. So my if question I, is, to summarize it, sorry, Shannon, if I had to summarize it very quickly, I would say prepare for the nomads, because that's the change your industry is going to see. You're going to see you know, lots of people for short stays moving through and continuously moving. If you can work from home and that home goes with you everywhere with your fast started connection, why would you stay home and work if you can do it from the lake or the beach or the bee park or whatever else? And so prepare for the world to become much more mobile. Starlink is a big factor in that. Energy is a big factor. There's so many facets to this movement. The Airstream product does look really awesome until you weigh it. Because they are struggling with the idea that this thing has to have some big batteries in it. And big batteries mean big tires and big tires mean big axles. And it's like adding two more pounds to a spaceship. You need to make that spaceship 40% larger just to add a few pounds. And so these kind of problems. And I think that Tobol also has to recognize this horrific aerodynamic crisis. Aerodynamics have never really played a role when you're towing something with an F-250. The F-250 will plow through. It'll move those, it'll move those molecules just fine. Yeah, you use more gas, but you'll just pump more gas faster. And if it's a low price, you're good. You'll keep moving the air molecules on that brick. That's going to change because towable, you've seen some of the examples probably on YouTube, almost 50% hit. I think I saw one that was higher than. 50% going up trailer. So now you got to charge your vehicle twice as much and you got to drop your trailer twice as much to charge your vehicle twice as much. And that I think is going to impinge the way people, the RVing and, and the, the joy of, of travel. So there's a lot of problems. So we're running out of time a little bit here, gentlemen, but I do have at least one final question, maybe two. My first question is how do manufacturers like you who are innovating, coming into the industry, who are not the traditional RV manufacturers, right? How do you work with the industry like Shane and Eleanor and Phil, who's not on the call and campgrounds and all those kinds of things to make sure that when people are experiencing your product, they're doing it the best way possible. You're addressing the service needs like Eleanor talked about, all those kinds of things that we're all working together to create a better experience for everybody. Yeah. One answer I have is drone. <laughs> we're we're going to need drones too. So, uh, well, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you cop out of the answer though. So these first we'll do the drills, no, but good, first, how you. do we work with associations? So I think it starts right now, right? With your show, making people aware of it. And we're not shipping product yet and probably won't be for until sometime next year when the Cybertruck starts to ship. And so we've got some time 
continue to build those relationships. And initially, I don't think you'll see changes needed. The 30 amp power ports you got now are plenty. What you may need are some adapters so that they can plug into it with their mobile charger or a Tesla connector or something like that. And so you'll want to think about things like that. I think you'll see demand increase for laundromat type services, right? People who are just on the road continuously aren't going to take that laundry back to their home and wash it. They're going to want to do it while they're on the road. If they can do it while they're charging at your RV park, all the better. And wardrobes. So I think you'll see some, yeah, I think you'll see some changes that way. They may want to purchase more in the way of food or some things like that, but I think you'll have time to adapt to it. And we'll, we'd like to continue this dialogue as we learn more from our customers. We'd like to come back to your audience and share what we've learned. Well, and I think there are ways to continue to keep that dialogue open, even far outside of our show, because obviously there needs to be not necessarily a daily, but a, an ongoing conversation between all of these parties to make it work together. So maybe like in my mind, I see Cyberlander like join CCRBC, the Canadian Camping Association, as a supplier member, super low cost, join RVDA, and then you've got an in. And then you've got open communication between everybody here to work together to make not your product better, because you've got that handled, but to make our service, the our experience. product in the industry, and the experience work better so that you have happier customers, we have happier campers, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Yep. I think that's the right impression. We're happy to join associations like that. We're already a member of the RV industry association. We want you to know that you're getting a cyberlander in your park that has passed all of the tests and meets all the code requirements. And we want to give you that comfort. We're happy to engage in those ways. Awesome. Good to hear. And then my final question here, unless anybody has an industry specific question, my last question is as you, and I guess it is industry specific, but as you guys evolve and the Cybertruck comes out, you start selling these vehicles, all those kinds of things, electric vehicles continue to evolve. Do you see yourselves or do you see other vehicles to the Jeep eventually? Is that better? Is that, that's better. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to lean against the window here. Sorry. Gust the wind. So my, my question was, is as you, as the industry continues to evolve, as more electric vehicles come into play and whether it's you as a company or other people in the space, do you feel like eventually there are cyber landers for vehicles that are not cyber trucks? And do you continue to evolve that space in other ways? It's a good, great question. We're really open to anything that makes sense. The Cybertruck is rather unique in that it does not have fender rise intruding into the bed. And so we would need to do some significant engineering to adapt it to other trucks. But if, if the demand is there, we're happy to move to other parts, to other pickups or to other parts of the RV market. We think we've got some unique strengths that we can bring to it. And we're hoping we can help the industry through that transition to, to electrification because it's going to change everything. I don't think everybody understands that yet, but it will be a massive disruption to the RV industry, just like it is to the auto industry. And I think the auto industry will be transitioning to meet some of these new changes with EVs. For example, there is pressure already in many of the forums for Ford to get rid of fender wells. And when that happens, that kind of changes the dynamic. Obviously the bed size is important. They're still a little bit tiny on that, but I think there will become a time when it makes sense for Cyberlander to appear in other environments, just as we're already having conversations with a lot of companies 
to use CyberLender for commercial purposes, potentially even military purposes. So I think the idea of invisible or disappearing accommodations is one that has really never been possible in the past. So I think that will have a significant impact on possibilities going down the road, literally and yeah. figuratively. Yeah, I've heard from the manager of the RV dealer that sells the most pickup campers in the U.S. And he strongly encouraged me to build Cyberlander for other trucks. And I said, do you think the market's there? There are dozens of other manufacturers. And he said, but yours is the one that fits in the garage. And they all want to be able to put it in the garage. And we've got three patents issued, three more published, and another six pending around our technology. And so it's going to be really difficult for anybody else to come up with anything that's substantially close to what we're doing. But clearly there's demand for a pickup camper that really does fit in the garage or go through the drive-through and basically gets out of the way when you're not using it, but magically appears when you do need it. It's a love lifestyle utility vehicle. It's what happens after the SUV. Um, becomes an adult. All right, guys, I got to so, run over, right over here. We got to wrap up the show. And, and I have wind and it keeps blowing gustier. So I feel like it just wants me to end the show because everybody's got to go and do other things. Lance, Bill, you can't see me. I'm way back here, but really appreciate you guys joining us, talking about Cyberlander, the vehicle, the concepts, the things that are going to happen in the very near future. I think we've opened a dialogue. I think we've started a conversation that's going to continue long into the future. And I think that what you gentlemen are doing for the most part, and maybe not for all the part, is going to greatly benefit industry that we all love and we're a part of and i think that's going to have some challenges along the way and some bumps and whether that's electric pedestals or adapting or changing models at campgrounds that conversation has to happen and i'm excited to see where it goes from here so kara chain any final thoughts susan no great, great show yeah, yeah chat guys i appreciate your time so much and look forward to this again in the future about where things are going Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So, I, yeah, I appreciate you. If as a reminder, I mean, the wind might blow because I have to come up here and press the button to end the show. But really appreciate you guys joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril. As always, Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council, who Lance is going to reach out to and join as a supplier member very shortly. We got his word there, right, Lance? <laughs> we want to see you. Yes. All right, it's me. I'm putting you on the website. I'm the website designer. I'm going to know. Oh, uh, but we're super excited. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We will be back again next week with more amazing content. Bill, as always, thanks for sharing your genius and all things software and all that kind of stuff with us. I'll geek out with you sometime. We should just schedule a Zoom call. That stuff fascinates me. So you know what to so. All right, sir. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.